Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. It is today, Wednesday, the 31st, the last day of uh, August, and it is 12 past 4. Myself, Zakaria, I have been joined with Dr. Tariq Bajwa Sahib, and um, he uh, has joined me today. Um, I'm a new face, of course. Usually I present at another day. But uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, thank you for coming yeah. in to help us today. <laughs> our uh, regular presenter, uh, Shajil. Imam Shajil is away today. So yes, you uh, must be missing him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get used to you know, uh, uh, course, working yeah. together. So Right. <laughs> so... Um, So as the, for those who are familiar to uh, our show um on the drive time show we usually split the two hours so we uh, present or uh, we present two different topics usually for the first hour uh, we have dentist shortage um so this is that we are going to discuss in the first hour and the second hour we will be uh, speaking about astronomy and what Islam really says about the cosmos um for those who want to get involved and uh, would like to say something they can also uh, contact us at 020 uh, 86877878 this is our number 020 and also you can always um, visit our website voiceofislam.co.uk <coughs> and we're also active uh, on our social media platforms on um uh, instagram twitter etc etc you can also tweet us at voiceofislam.uk so uh, the two topics are very you know interesting uh, uh one is an issue that uh, you know we have in regards to the dentist and 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 the nhs that uh, there is a shortage in in dentists isn't it yeah it's very interesting that um the other day i had uh, uh, you know uh, i i had a need to find a dentist because um usually i used to go to one of my friends so he's a, who happens to be a dentist mm-hmm. and uh, previous to that uh, <coughs> it was one of our, our our senior members of the community who uh is a great personality and has spent like three years devoting his life in the gambia uh, <coughs> you know post post retirement probably uh, his name is dr walisha and uh, intentionally i have named him because he has uh, you know you don't realize that how many nice people are around you who do so much favor yeah. without even mentioning it uh, but i realize that how uh, you know nice he was to me mm-hmm. because i never knew that i had to pay for my dental treatment before <laughs> uh, i i when i found out that he has retired now and okay. i have to find another dentist right. and following this i was lucky that i found another dentist who was a close friend and colleague as well okay uh he's 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 working currently in the in Ghana okay. and trying to build a, ho- a hospital locally for helping the local population oh, in wow, Ghana uh, and uh, his name is Dr. Gafur Manan <coughs> again um uh, because you know uh, you you think that you are entitled for nhs treatment uh, <coughs> and he never bothered to charge me or no, no matter what he did mm-hmm. for me for dental problems but recently when i had a problem i found out that he has already go- gone to ghana he sold his uh, uh, you know dental practice right and um, so there is another person who has taken over okay 
So um, I consulted. Uh, I I said that yeah, well, I'm your old patient. So can I just you know can I see some dentist and and then they tried to uh, <clears throat> they they told me that you know you may not be entitled for NHS treatment. Okay. So th- this this was something new for me. Right. Uh, I said okay, that's fine. Uh, you know, uh, whatever. You know, I, I need the first consultation, <clears throat> and uh, after that, uh, then they said, oh, the, the, your treatment involves this and this, and uh, <clears throat> you might, uh, yeah, your treatment might involve, you know, uh, some private elements, mm-hmm. and you have to pay for that <clears throat> uh, because you are not entitled for NHS treatment because of they they have a very strict criteria. Okay. And they gave me a list of these things that, you know, either you have a either, you know, tax credit or you... So, <coughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I, I didn't fit any of those criteria. Okay, unfortunately, yeah. And uh, although, uh, you know, I've, uh, I'm retired, but uh, I, I still did not fit the criteria. So, mm. <coughs> so the story goes that, uh, you know, I ended up with um, another friend... Uh, um, yeah, me being a doctor, I'm lucky that I have got some dentist got a, a lot of connections. Uh, a lot you of, can uh, <laughs> dentist friends. Yeah, uh, and this one works in Harley Street, and uh, he, he he was very kind to me. Okay, uh, I didn't charge for his consultation. Right, but he said that I needed some treatment where I need to see a private uh, dentist. Okay. Because there is nobody, uh, you know, the treatment on NHS is very difficult to find. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to be referred to the hospital. And um, that might take ages to to get to. (coughs) And when I uh, consulted this (coughs) private dentist, uh, who was a lady, and uh, she was very brilliant. And she was, was, uh, you know, having all the degrees and everything was a... (coughs) And no doubt that she was an uh, expert in her field. But when she showed me the bill that I had to pay, <laughs> well, I was, uh, I, I practically, I said that I can't afford it. Mm. And when I, then I thought that here I am, I'm, I'm a doctor by profession. Mm. Uh, and uh, alhamdulillah, by the grace of uh, Allah, I, I have a good income and I can afford it. But mm-hmm. what about somebody who is, not able to afford that. Yep. Okay, and if he has to go through the same uh, thing as I have, and he has no option uh, other than that, he would not get his treatment. Mm. So, the problem today, I think that that's one reason why I, it's not for um, because of me that the ch- topic has been chosen, but the problem is that uh, one thing is that it is difficult to find dentists who can offer treatment on NHS. Mm. There is there is uh, multiple reasons for that. Of course, we will be discussing those. Mm-hmm. But <coughs> uh, one issue is that many of the dentists who are available, yeah. and obviously, dent, um, you know, um, dental treatment is, is one of the very basic requirements where, you know, the children require it mm. when you grow up. And uh, on NHS, you know, up to when you are in full education, you, you are, you are entitled to have a free treatment. Then there are other certain criteria. When you are pregnant, one year of, and up to one, your child is one year old, you, it, is, it is free. Mm. Um, <coughs> but the thing is that most of the dentists... Um, who are available have opted out of giving NHS treatment and they've gone private. Right. Okay. So we will have to look at whether it is a real deficiency, a real 
a real shortage of doctors or is it that the doc- dentists are available but the contract the NHS has offered is is not adequate or is not enough so that they can survive their mm. practices and they have decided to go private yeah so so th- this is the issue mainly and and uh, we we will be speaking to our guests today um who uh, uh, i'm sure that they are from this field and they would be able to sort of show um, uh, sort of uh, uh, put some light on this issue and and uh, how how you know they from their point of view we can we can look at things yeah um i mean uh, definitely we will from their perspective we will know what the issue is in in depth because sometimes we don't know you have friends you might know uh what the issue is one of your friends who went to africa uh, is it because he dedicated his life yeah he is for the for the community yeah he has he okay, has wow. that, that's may Allah bless him yeah sure. uh, um, i mean he's dedicated some time yeah okay well um so um we uh, as we are discussing you are already you already know we are discussing with the uh in in regards to the shortage of dentists and why <laughs> it's it's a very crucial um uh, um uh, topic it's a very important topic the reason is because if you don't have any dental um uh, you know if you don't have any doctors or you know it can it could it could um in, in future especially for kids you said if uh, the kids that tre- that teeth are treated well and if they have been given the right guidance by the doctors then in future that will help as well but if there is no doctors <laughs> dentists then there is no uh, it will be difficult for the kids as well especially uh, you know when there is kids we have uh, you know they they do also have braces as well so in future they will have you know straight yeah, <laughs> yeah. but this is one of the things but um uh, usually uh we have uh, you know our first guest today for today uh, Juhi Patel um yeah. who has recently um uh, graduated from uh, dentistry as well um so uh, with a short introduction assalamu alaikum and peace be upon you and welcome to uh, voice of islam drive time show hi thank you for having me how oh, is that Juhi okay how oh, is Juhi right okay yeah, yeah. So Juhi uh, thanks for coming on the show today and we are we are speaking about the uh, you know the dentists and the shortage of dentists today what's your opinion yeah. on the shortage of dentists in the UK Yeah so as you guys said it's very real I've um spoken to lots of patients who are having a you know the same issue with not finding a local dentist who can see them um so there are quite a few reasons for this um so one of them is the contract whereby NHS dentists work for um it means that they have a lot of targets to reach um and they're under a lot of pressure so they may not be able to give like the right amount of time and care for patients so you can see that in the past few years they've been moving towards private dentistry um so that means there is a lack of NHS dentists that are that are being able to see there are shortage of dentists but um in private you can find one but in NHS it's really hard to find um an NHS dentist um so when they move to private dentistry they they're more able to have flexibility and ability to provide like best quality care for patients um so that's why you can see a shortage of of NHS dentists um another reason in the past couple of years is because of covid it's caused a huge backlog and waiting lists 
So it means that they've not been able to see patients. And now that they're catching up on all of that, it's really hard just to get a checkup. Um, and finally, financial reasons. Um, of course, you may be thinking, oh, um, dentists, you know, you have to pay a lot of money or dentists earn a lot of money. But really, the NHS sector of dentistry, we don't get enough funding from the government, which is why we have to charge a lot more. Um, so, you know, if that changed, then maybe there would be more NHS dentists and... Yeah, so those are a few reasons, my opinion. Okay, um, Juhi, um, you know, when we look at the, the GP contracts and then we have the dentists, and, and I understand that the dentists, they got out of NHS contract and uh, probably it happened in 1991. Uh, and before that, from 46 onwards, they had the, some sort yeah. of similar contract. And then uh, because of the, you know, item-wise uh, rates of NHS payment was much uh, lower as a uh, yeah. you know and the dentist couldn't survive so, so they they actually uh, walked out of that and that now they had the option of you know giving the private treatment as well as the yeah. NHS uh, treatment so um, obviously now we see that more people more dentists have moved uh, into private practice than the NHS and that is one reason why there is a generally shortage of uh, the availability of dentists and as the statistics uh, show us that uh, you know um, many many practices uh, they are not registering even new patients yeah. on NHS this is happening so uh, what do you think how, how could that shortage of dentists would affect the overall health of the general public yeah it can have a big um, effect so obviously if you're not being seen there's so many patients who have toothache you know around the country and they're not being able to be seen um, this just can cause a lot of problems for patients mentally and physically because they're just going under a lot of pain and not being seen for it. Um, there's a lot more hospital cases because, um, you know, they're going through A&E to get seen. Um, and yeah, just generally, there'll be more expensive treatment that patients will need because something that could have been filled very early on, tooth that could have just needed a filling, now needs to be taken out. Um, because they've not been seen for so long, that can cause um, a lot more extensive treatment, which obviously costs a lot more money. So we're ending up in a, you know, vicious cycle there as well. So is that, um, you know, uh, is that workload, average workload of dentists, is, is that a factor in, in the current circumstances that, that has led to this, that, you know, there was, mm, there is much more workload and that contributes yeah. to this? Yeah, definitely. So obviously COVID has caused a lot more workload for dentists. Um, we've been seeing patients who needed to be seen two years ago still, so we're still catching up on that. Um, and just because of the NHS contract I mentioned, there's a lot of targets that we need to meet in a year, um, which means that we're trying to do so many treatments throughout, you know, every day to meet those targets. Otherwise, if you don't, you know, tick it off, then you've not met the NHS contract. Um, and this just means that you end up rushing in treatments and, you know, but we don't want to rush, so we might refer and, you know, that has a long waiting time, so there's a lot of factors involved with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, one of, you know, dentists might have a difference uh, when it comes to the NHS uh, and the private sector. So what's the difference for, uh, and, and patients as well, so if, uh, what's the difference for dentists and the patients uh, in the NHS um, if you compare it with the uh, private sector? Yeah, so um, NHS, 
um, so for the patient, they may, they may get less time with the dentist. Mm -hmm. They may have more waiting times and more, yeah, just more waiting times to see a dentist or just in the waiting room, you have more waiting time. Um, it costs less uh, compared to private. Um, and for dentists with NHS, um, they, you know, they have less time with the patient. They can't provide um, the care that they may want to because they have to stick to a limited time. Um, so in comparison to private, it's basically the opposite. Uh, mm. Dentists have more time with the patient. They can provide more quality care. Um, and for the patient, they, you know, they feel like they've, they've had more with the dentist. Um, but yeah, they are paying more for it. So obviously it depends on, you know, what, what you can afford as well. Hmm. Okay. Um, do you have one, uh, you know, one factor which is which I've noted is that you, you know when when my car breaks down and I go to uh, to the mechanic, you know, he asks me, uh, "Do you have insurance?" And uh, you know, which covers that, or yeah. you know, when you, you it is when it is not your fault, somebody else's fault, and then yeah. the the bill because it is going through to the insurance instead of in hundreds, it goes to thousands. So the same thing, you know, with the dentist, that if they see that you have got an insurance which will cover your dental costs, then their bill, you know, increases 10 times. Uh, is that is that true? I'm not completely sure. I just graduated, so I've not learned oh. the ins and outs of this sort of thing. So <laughs> okay, I'm the not financial quite thing. Sure about that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you'll, you you will have to go into I'll that in, in order to find that out. That is what is happening, mm. because I, I think it is uh, it becomes unfair for uh, somebody who is paying from his own pocket, and and the bill yeah. is because. They compare it with the, what the insurance is going to pay them. Like somebody is covered by Bupa or somebody, mm. um, yeah. some insurance, and they they obviously pay much more. Uh, which mm -hmm. uh, a, a person who is uh, you know his uh, hard-earned income, he, he it's, it's yeah. impossible to 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 pay out of that mm. for that much amount. Uh, yeah. So so a lot of finances invo involved, but yeah. obviously the NHS. I think they have looked at the. Uh, the contract and they're trying to like uh, attract back the uh, dentist to NHS uh, yeah. uh, recently I think there was some um, some negotiations going on I don't know what was the outcome but uh, I'm sure that they are going to um, uh, because they are in a desperate situation where they want people to get help and get the dental treatment because it's a very, very basic essential. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But thank you very much, Juhi, for uh, Juhi Patel. Uh, thank you for joining us and good luck with your future in dentistry. Oh, that's okay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So um, the thing is that. Uh, dental hygiene is so important. Yes, you know. Is. I mean, apart from that, that, that you go to the to 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 the level where where your dental uh, treatment starts. You know, even the base, basic dentistry and the the uh, you know even the Holy Quran has given the basis the, the basic one of the basic factors that you should purify yourself. You should be clean because cleanliness is associated with you know the the apparent or physical cleanliness is associated with your inner cleanliness. Yes, indeed. So there, there's the spiritual cleanliness. And, and there's a verse of the Holy Quran which says, And thy heart do thou purify, and uncleanliness do thou shun. Hmm. So, so that's the basic principle. And then we see that the practice of the Holy Prophet, uh, yes. Prophet Muhammad, may peace and 
blessings of Allah be upon him, is that uh, he would uh, he would uh, use the the miswak. Miswak was uh, like a brush with in the um, uh, you know uh, it, it's like a, a stick which is uh, yeah, used like as a, a brush, a, a branch, a, 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 a branch, a, 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 a twig, a basically a twig. Yeah, from I'm, the I'm I'm not sure how you call the tree. Uh, as far as I know, twig, it's twig, neem twig tree. I don't know. What, uh, uh, yeah, there, there are other trees as well. It's, it's, it's okay, a kikar. Yeah. Kikar is a kikar babul is or kikar. It is called acacia. Okay. Acacia is the most commonly and, and used, is a okay, user yeah. friendly as well because so, it's not so bitter. It's, 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 it's two in one, isn't it? So <laughs> yeah. uh, it has some sort of, you know, uh, chemicals in 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 the yeah, yeah, uh, in it, so you don't need any toothpaste. So the toothpaste and the brush is in. <laughs> is, is, is so in, that's in a really good thing, and that's that was a uh, the holy prophet. Uh, that that, 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 that was his practice, and and to the extent that people thought that you know uh, that uh, that he 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 might have made it compulsory as a part of evolution. That, hmm. but but uh, at least twice a day he w- he would use uh, this brushing the hmm. the teeth because that's important to keep your your teeth clean and for the health of the the teeth as well mm. right so um uh we have our second guest for today um, um uh, for the second hour uh, for the for this hour we have uh zeb ansari who's the nhs uh domiciliary dentist um with us um assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and uh, welcome to uh, the drive time show Alaikum assalam, peace be upon you, uh, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for uh, um, giving your time and being with us here. Um, can you tell us a bit about the work you are doing as a dentist? Right. So, uh, as you rightly described me, I, I'm a domiciliary dentist. So, what that involves largely is going out to see patients who can't physically get to a dental practice. That's essentially what domiciliary dentistry and domiciliary visits mean. It means they don't come to us, the patients, we go to them. So the work that I'm doing mostly involves going into care homes, uh, homes where people uh, who no longer um, have full control over their bodies due to uh, pathology, injury or accidents um, and who are unable to, you know, sort of, uh, they're not able-bodied anymore, uh, so we go to them and we provide them dental treatment. Uh, and sometimes we visit independent hospitals, or you know, and even sometimes even uh, own home visits. So you know, someone's personal dwelling, we uh, we would go there and uh, see patients and carry out treatment as required. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, from sometimes some uh, you know, you might be inspired, or some people are. They do get inspired uh, from a very young age, uh, from their doctors or you know if they've met someone um, to do something in future as well. And then they stick to their uh, you know inspiration as well. And in future they also do this. I remember um, yesterday we were speaking to a, a astronaut, um, and uh, she was uh, saying that I got inspired from a very young age, and I just wanted to carry on. Uh, this thing. So, what what is it that inspired you to, you know, uh, take this career? Sure, sure. That's an interesting question, which which I have been asked a few times, and I love to answer. So, uh, when I was about, I think, fourteen or fifteen, uh, it was a, a compulsory part of uh, education in in that particular year was that you you would go out for work experience. So they still do that nowadays as well. And so, when I went for work experience, it was at a dental practice. 
Now, this was in the uh, early 2000s. So, I, I mean, I, I qualified in 2010 from the University of Birmingham. I've been a practicing dentist for 12 years now. Um, and so initially when I went for work experience, the rules were a bit more relaxed than they are now. You could sort of assist the dentist, you know, in the capacity of, you know, a bit of a nurse, if mm -hmm. you like. Mm -hmm. And so I had that, I had that chair side experience of patients coming in, um, seeing the dentist. And, you know, I saw it very much as somebody comes in with a problem, uh, you address that problem and then you fix that problem. And I, I very much saw it as kind of, I mean, it's not always the case in real life, but I, at, from that early age, in my mind's eye, I saw it as, um, you know, kind of a, a problem-solving role and instant kind of satisfaction, if you like, of, you know, you've helped someone, uh, you managed to sort out the problem that they came in with. And it's quite, that's quite rewarding uh, in itself. And so I recognized that, as I think, as a 15-year-old at that time, uh, I recognized that. And I, I think... Possibly due to some of my own personality traits, at that young age, I sort of knew that I wanted to be on the other side. I didn't want to be on the nurse <laughs> side. Um, I wanted to be on the dentist side because I, I think I, I do, by the grace of God, I have some natural leadership uh, tendencies, or, or I like to believe, I could be mistaken. But um, yeah, so I had this desire that, okay, let me, you know, let, let me pursue this or let's find out what's required. And again, by the grace of God, I was always a, an academic student, um, a bit of a nerd, and you know, always had my nose in textbooks. And uh, the rest is history, really. So I did my GCSEs, um, and then followed by my A levels, uh, and then yeah, I got admission into a few dental schools. I chose Birmingham um, just because I thought it would be a good university, and uh, you know, so I'd have a, a good time there and manage to uh, manage to get my degree in a good environment. So um, that's pretty much the story of how I was inspired to be a dentist. That's, uh, that's great, uh, Seb. Um, uh, you, you have had uh, a good experience now. And, uh, you know, today uh, our topic is uh, we're discussing the shortage of dentists. So um, in your, from your point of view, is it a real shortage of dentists or is it that people have moved or the dentists have moved more into private sector than um, mm. on NHS? And what mm. are the factors? Is it, is it a high workload, which is a factor, or is it lack of support or lack of finances? What do you think it is? Mm. So I think to address the first part of your question, I think there is definitely a tangible shortage of dentists because, you know, we are sort of hearing it even when I'm in a social gathering, you know, I hear that so-and-so, you know, they really need a dentist. Or actually, I, I met one of my friends the other day and the first thing her mother-in-law asked me was, that, are you an NHS dentist? You know, could, you see, could you see my son? So people, uh, the situation I think is a bit desperate now in mm -hmm. terms of, dentist availability this has only been you know this has only been sort of uh, emphasized and accentuated by the pandemic i know we tend to use the pandemic quite loosely now oh yeah it's because of the pandemic or this is because of the pandemic but in dentistry genuinely the pandemic has affected it's amplified this shortage of dentists uh, and that's again because Dentistry wasn't available as it always has been during the pandemic. You know, we, we were merely telephoning people or very rarely, very rarely rather, very rarely, only if you were in a severe, uh, you know, severe distress, would you be able to see a dentist at one of the urgent dental hubs, which, you know, is not ideal at all because 
one of the main things they teach us at uni is, you know, prevention, preventative dentistry. But if you can't access a dentist, there's not going to be any prevention. You're going to end up, you know, with toothache and all the other associated problems, gum disease, etc., what have you, and you're not going to be able to find a dentist. So now what's happened, as we've sort of come out of the pandemic, there's a backlog. And so they're still prioritizing people who are more in need of treatment, which is, which is, which is interesting because uh, that doesn't mean that the gaps have all been filled. Uh, you know, we are still behind, if you like. We haven't managed to see all of those people who were not able to access dental care during the, the two years where we had uh, special arrangements in place. So, yes, I do think there is a shortage of dentists. I do think the pandemic obviously made things much worse. Um, and in terms of, so you asked about that support. So support in dentistry, dentistry is a very stressful career. I mean, even on a good day, sometimes I go home and in the back of my mind, uh, I have, you know, I, I may have uh, a concern or a worry that, oh God, is so-and-so going to complain? I mean, you know, that, that is part and parcel of being a, a, med a medical professional because, uh, you know, you can't please everyone. There will be instances where things don't go right. You try your best, you know, you try your very, very best and you are, you are sort of programmed. You are like this professional robot and, you know, as soon as you see a patient, you go into your professional robot dentist mode, you know, good morning, sir, how are you today? How can we help you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and sometimes it is hard to kind of um, turn that off when you do get home because you may have some worries from earlier on in the day. You may wonder, you know, although I've been in this field for 12 years now, sometimes I do wonder if uh, it's something that I did you know, is that going to be okay? Is that tooth going to be okay? Is that denture going to be okay? So, so in terms of support, I don't think dentists have much support. The, I would say my main support is probably my husband, uh, who has the patience to listen to me uh, when I, you know, when I wish to discuss something um, or an issue or a problem. So I think family support is very important. In terms of professional support, uh, it, it's a bit lonely because I would say that you may meet colleagues who you know are happy to sort of listen and be um, you know sort of uh, giving with their opinions and things. But then you may you may not meet colleagues like that because you know sadly we we live in this world where it's every man for himself or, or woman in this case, and so you are a bit of a lone wolf in this profession. You know. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, Zeb, that was a very comprehensive answer and very, uh, you know, very eloquently you have mentioned uh, uh, and very frank opinion yeah. as well, which I appreciate. Thank you, uh, Thank you very much. Uh, now, um, you know, um, of course, you know, dental care is very important, particularly I was mentioning about the children, you know, the, where they're growing up. They need particularly orthodontists and, uh, um, and, and lots of problems associated with the uh, with the dental hygiene leading to the problems later on. So uh, what's your opinion on how the government or NHS can support current and future dentists? So, so first of all, if you are just talking about NHS dentistry, uh, then I have a lot to say about that, and I'll come back to that in a minute. I just remembered part of your question from the previous question where you said, 
that is, do you think that the shortage is, is largely due to the privatization of many practices? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and I just want to address that. So I do think that that is a factor, but there are still, you know, there, there is still a healthy number of NHS practices around, mm-hmm. right? But yep. in terms of what you just asked me now in your, in your question about, you know, how can they, how can they make this better? Essentially, that's what you're asking, aren't you? How can the government make this Make, make NHS dentistry better in the United Kingdom. So there I would say that, first of all, I mean, I don't want to bore you with the details of dental contracts, okay? But I'm going to give you a very brief overview so you understand. Yeah. So first of all, the current NHS contract that we have, it was introduced in 2006, and mm-hmm. at the moment it's reviewed. It's a contract that was met with a lot of disappointment from current practicing dentists. In 2006, I was a second year dental student so I was kind of like oh no they changed the contract you know just as I was about to become a dentist essentially they made the contract worse from a dentist perspective they've also made the contract worse from a patient's perspective now what that means I'm going to sum it up briefly because again I don't want to bore you with technicalities what that means is the current contract it encourages under treatment from dentists now whether that happens or not is down to your own personal ethics as a dentist. Personally, I don't practice under treatment. I, I provide the treatment that is required for a patient. Okay, um, and it also it also asks the dentist this contract to to perform quite complicated treatments for very little remuneration. Okay, so I understand healthcare is not just about money. But people need to earn a living as well. People need to be able to pay their mortgages or their rent and, and their bills and food. And, you know, or we, we also have all of those, you know, the requirements that need to be fulfilled. Okay. Mm. But this contract, what it does, by virtue of saying, okay, you know, you, you, you do a root canal, but you're only getting this. What it does is it discourages a lot of dentists because they essentially they feel they feel, well, why should we spend a few hours doing a treatment where the remuneration is so poor? Which, again, is not, is not completely ethical because if you, if you subscribe to a contract, then you should fulfill the clauses of the contract. But this is, where, this is why uh, there is this, this tension when in, in the contract world of dentists. Yeah, dentists don't always want to do, and I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure you've heard where so-and-so has needed a root canal and they hmm. said and, and the dentist has said oh no we don't do that on the nhs i'm sure you've heard instances like that where certain yeah. treatments are being denied on the nhs so at the moment they are reviewing this contract because you know uh, amazingly it's taken them 16 years to realize <laughs> that the contract is not actually helping patients this hmm. contract yeah. is actually resulting in under treatment of patients because you know dentists are not wanting to do lots of treatment for poor remuneration. So now they are piloting new schemes um, and they are reviewing this contract and it does seem that they will abolish this system at some point. I mean, Wales has already abolished it. They've they've said, goodbye, we don't want the system anymore. So Mm. Wales has already done that. And usually with with England, we usually just do what Wales does, don't we? So we just wait and let other... Yeah, let other nations do the thing first, and then we just follow suit. So yeah, that's yeah. that's that. But there are some there are some contract issues. Yeah. 
to sum it up. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Zeb. It was very interesting to have, uh, you know to listen to you and uh, your opinion. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we, we we would have loved to uh, carry on talking to you, but we are sh- running short of time. So thank you very much for so joining us uh, this afternoon. You're very welcome. You're yeah. very welcome. I, and my apologies for being a little bit late, uh, but thank you for accommodating <laughs> thank, me. Thank you very much. Peace be upon you all. Thank you very much, okay. and to you as well. Thank you. So, so that was uh, Dr. Zaiban Sari, and she has, uh, you know, in details uh, answered our question. I hope our listeners have benefited out of that. Uh, but state, uh, we should be, uh, you know, uh, uh, the discussion on the shortage of dentists. Uh, of course, I mean, uh, we, we have listened to uh, our uh, callers, and um, they have given the opinions. Obviously, everybody has uh, his his own opinion. And uh, and and definitely, um, um, this this issue is is affecting everyone almost because you know anybody who needs a dentist, he he um, needs the, um, uh, the 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 treatment. And uh, from uh, some of the, some of the statistics, you know, as we were talking about, some of the statistics we have is that uh, recently the BBC have investigated the current situation um, of uh, the dentistry in the UK and there are some uh, the, some shocking informations about you know nine in ten NHS dental practice in the UK are not accepting new adult patients mm. then uh, nine in ten NHS dental practices are, are, are not accepting uh, you know this this is a like 90 percent isn't it uh, yeah mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, even even for children you know, there are, I, I think this is a slightly less number, but 8 in 10, they are also not taking the children. Mm. And some of them, they are saying, okay, we'll, t- we'll take you, mm. provided your parents are, you know, they, they register with us as a private patient. Mm. So so this, this is the state of affairs. And, and, and one third of over 200 council areas across the UK, there are no dentists taking on new adult NHS patients. Mm. And an extra 50 million pounds has been made available by the Department of Health as they see eliminating the uh, COVID uh, backlog and improving NHS access as a priority for public health. We do have uh, our next guest, uh, um, and uh, I, I think we'll have to be quick. Uh, uh, this is Safa Kriwar, and uh, uh, she's a recent graduate from dentistry. Uh, welcome, assalamu alaikum, peace be on you, uh, to the Drive Time Show, um, Safa. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. And we are, uh, as you, you must be aware, that we are discussing a shortage of dentists in the UK. What's your opinion about that? Um, well, to be honest, it's, it's something that, you know, I feel like it's just gotten worse. So when I was first applying for dentistry, um, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a thing about, you know, piloting schemes and everything. And now it's gone to the point where it's, you know, if something's not done sooner, sooner, then it might be, be you know, beyond repair. So it's just getting worse and worse, especially with COVID. Um, yeah. So like the statistics you see now, they've just been, it's incredible. You think ninety-one percent of people are not being accepted onto to you know to to practices. So yeah. So um, um so uh, thank you, Safa. What what could be done, uh, you know, by the government or even the general public to help this shortage which we are having at the moment? I think, to be honest, it, it was, it's not been taken seriously. I think with with, with building new reforms and pilot schemes, I think 
more should have been done. So 16, to say, the last week was saying 16 years it's taken for them to think, to realise that, you know, there's something's wrong. And now these piloting schemes, I remember when I first applied to this, it was 2018 or was it 2017, these schemes were being put in place. So surely by now they, sh- they should have come up with, you know, a good enough scheme as to want the current reform we have, um, but there isn't. Um, I had one patient who actually spent four years trying to look for an NHS census in um, the Sussex area and still can't find one. So he could travel all the way to uh, Guy's Hospital just to have someone check, you know, check his teeth. So it, it's, the problem is, uh, you know, bigger than we think. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's not, uh, it has not been timely, uh, you know, looked at. And uh, now I, I think they are, they're panicking, uh, particularly the the, uh, the post-COVID effect. Uh, obviously, it's one of the factors. So, do you have any tips for our listeners about the dental hygiene? Because I think if we can prevent, at least we don't uh, <laughs> need to have the treatment. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's true. If you can try and keep your hygiene, your oral hygiene, and reduce the amount of need you'll need, you know, to be able to see a dentist. So, like, you know, doing, you know, brushing your two teeth to it twice a day, and you know, your diet, changing your diet and your lifestyle. That, that would have a massive effect, um, yeah, massive impact as well. Also, just um, like these new schemes, like, you know, the promoting um, help, promoting, you know, do good dental or hygiene as well is important in schools and, you know, from a young age. And hopefully that will make a difference because, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, it will, anything will help at this point, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, this is part of our our faith as well that, you know, that is uh, that we should clean our teeth uh, twice a day and it's, uh, w- w- one thing which uh, which came to my mind was that how often you should go and visit uh, you know your dental hygienist to 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 get like scaling done for you is there any regular like period do you know th- that you should a routine you should follow yeah well the, the recall period depends on the patient's risk so we, we usually say depending on so for example if someone has you know, uh, reverse you know, periodontitis, then they will have a shorter recall period. So you'd expect them to come potentially every three months. Um, but if it's someone who, you know, who, who doesn't, you know, have as much of a higher risk, then maybe we say every six to 12 months. So it depends on your, you know, your recall, your your risk. Your, and another risk factor, for example, if you're a smoker, your diet, um, if you're diabetic, there's, there's certain things you factor in. Um, to determine their recall, so how often they would expect to see hygienists. But mo- usually, after the dentist seen you and they've done an assessment, they'll be able to tell you, um, you know, how often you should be visiting your hygienist. Um, you know, the thing is as well, as soon as you're having, you know, hard tartar plaque build up, you, that's the point where you know, okay, I need this to be professionally removed. You, you can't, you can no longer clean that by yourself at home. Mm. You know, with the toothbrush and instruments you have. So one last question and quick one is: uh, What inspired yeah. you to go to get into dentistry? Okay, it's quite. Um, well, I don't know if it's a funny story, but um, so initially, uh, probably a lot of people have said this, but um, um, my mom was persistent on me doing it, and I, I wasn't. I wanted, I wanted to go into medicine, actually. Okay. And um, so then, after I did some work experience with, you know, within uh, Guy St Thomas Hospital, just shadowing some medical students, and I didn't like it. I hated it. I hated the way they were spoken to. I hated <laughs> the environment. And, <laughs> And that, that that put me off. So, uh, you know, I was like, you know what, let me listen. Let me try to do some experience with, you know, within the dental field. And I was sold. I loved it. I loved the environment. I loved the way people, the professionals right. spoke to one another. Yeah, so from then on, I just did loads of experience. And it just made me love it more and more and more. So I even, I don't know if you know, so I already did, I did biomedical sciences beforehand. Um, 
So I did what I can to try and get into dentistry. I took me four years to get in, but I never gave up. And thank God I never did because, you know, I got in for tree. So, <laughs> so, you, yeah, so. You, you made the right decision. So we, because, I made because the right decision, we need yes. you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank I'm sure that uh, our uh, listeners must have enjoyed your talk as well. Thank you very much. And thank have a you nice very day. much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so this was uh, Safa Kriar. She's a recent graduate from dentistry, and um, she was uh, talking about, you know, what inspired her to to get into dentistry. And of course, we need more people to get inspired into going into dentistry, dentistry because yeah. we need them, uh, you know, more more of them in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and particularly as we have looked uh, to today, we we have looked. Uh, into the issues which have been regarding, uh, you know, the shortage of um, uh, dentistry, mm. uh, not not dentistry, but the dentists in, in and and less people in this field we find nowadays. And uh, yes, it is it is true that there are many people around who have been waiting and they're looking for a, uh, you know finding uh, a dentist particularly who can uh, treat them on the NHS yeah. because you can find the the private dentist there is no doubt about that but if you can afford it but those who are not able to afford that they they, um, uh, they have a difficulty in uh, finding a dentist so, so i think the best uh, the, uh, if anything which we can take away from today's program is that we should look after our teeth yep. and, and the basic thing is that of course you know the, in the children they should be taught that it's important that they they brush their teeth on a regular basis um even the adults they have to to look after and before it's too late because yeah. what happens is that if you don't if you don't uh, look after your teeth and there are there are uh, multiple factors even in <coughs> brushing teeth you know the way you brush it and very interestingly you know the other day i was uh, i was looking into that the, the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him when he brushed his teeth with with the miswak with the with the this uh, you know twig of uh, a tree uh, he was doing it both ways uh, you know right to left and horizontally as well as vertically Mm. And now they are, they're telling you that, you know, you should do it vertically as well. Vertically as well. Not and, just one. Uh, no, uh, not just one. Because, okay. uh, because the, the place in between the teeth, that is where the, the residuals, the, you know, the residues of your food, food particles, and they, they are left inside. Mm. So either you do a floss after that, you should do a floss yeah. after that so that you clean in the, the place in between your teeth as well, because yeah. that's where... I think flossing yeah, I think is a so. very important thing. Yeah, so yeah, the doctors say that if you don't floss, then your washing your uh, or, or brushing is not complete, basically. And one of the th- tips that I've learned as well, uh, I was doing some research as well, that uh, brushing, you shouldn't wash your mouth. You shouldn't w- use any water. So let it be there for at least half an hour. So this way it will work, you know, the, the chemicals of the toothpaste will work on your teeth as well. And of course, doctors always recommend that you should not skip flossing because flossing actually takes out all the dirt from the corners of your teeth that cannot be reached by a normal brush, of course. But um, I hope, uh, you know, the our listeners, they have uh, uh, learned a lot from uh, from our discussion today, especially from the experts, um, where they discussed about the issues and uh, some tips that uh, people can use uh, in order to avoid uh, spending uh, a lot of money uh, nowadays for dentistry, and, and and they can avoid getting their de- uh, teeth uh, 
you know, <laughs> being So while it's not it? clear whether or not there will be any change in the state of dental staffing in the UK, it is clear that more attention and funding is required in this area, as it yeah. is across uh, the entire NHS, which is currently struggling uh, from chronic underfunding. Um, let's go to the news, and then uh, we'll uh, see you in the next po- next part. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, if somebody just talks of sugar, he cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, if somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah and welcome back to the drive time show for today. Um, uh, in the previous hour, we spoke about dentistry and the, the shortage of uh, dentists in the UK, uh, the issues with it, uh, the, and, and, and how you can, uh, and what the dentists nowadays, uh, you know, what their uh, thoughts are when they you know we had very interesting uh, a discussion with uh, some of our dentists um uh, in the previous hour but uh, for this hour we have a slight different topic which is about the cosmos or about astronomy and uh, what islam uh, says about the cosmos as well as the voice of islam we also reflect on the islamic teachings on uh, the topics that we discuss of course because this is our aim to you know in islam the holy quran has knowledge of everything from the future present and also uh, um, and and the past as well so this topic is a very interesting topic um if anyone wants to get involved and wants to contact us and wants to get uh, uh, wants to speak to us as well uh, you can always call us on the number 020 uh, 7878 so the number is 020-8687-7878 you can also uh, tweet us um, at um, Voice of Islam UK and we're also active in all platforms you can just you know Google Voice of Islam UK and you can find us you know all the platforms especially on um, Instagram so in the Instagram story we are asking a, a interesting question and that is which Muslim scientist invented the telescope so the question is which Muslim scientist invented the telescope um, very interesting question and uh, we will uh, we have we already have some answers so the question uh, the answers uh, or the, the the options for the answers are Abul Hassan uh, a B Ibn al-Haytham, 
C. Qutb al-Din al-Shirazi and D. Ibn al-Shatir. So these are the uh, options, of course, and we already have um, uh, quite few answers. Um, we have eight saying Abdu Abul Hassan. Eight people said Abul Hassan. Twenty-two people said Ibn al-Haytham. Uh, 15 people said Qutb uh, al-Din al-Shirazi 7 people said Ibn al-Shatir <coughs> So we're going to reveal the answer towards the end of the show I hope uh, we remember that <laughs> <laughs> Just just remind me please uh, yeah. so we don't forget because uh, Islam has contributed a lot um, especially yeah, in there's the golden lot of, hours um, Yeah, there's a lot of scientists around if you look at, into it and, uh, and uh, you know it's, it's an amazing thing is that at a time when the Holy Quran was revealed the mm. knowledge surrounding the cosmos and the universe was very scarce and primitive. Mm. However, with the advancement in the science, along with man's unquenchable thirst for knowledge, our understanding surrounding the stars, comets, galaxies, and all the wonders in the universe beholds considerably that has been expanded. And uh, see the state of existence of the universe, its sustained and orderly organization and its amazing architecture do indeed suggest to the rational mind that there ought to be a creator and sustainer of this ultimate marvel of science and art. Hmm. The orderly management of the universe uh, governed by unchanging laws indicates the presence of an intelligent sustainer running the affairs of the cosmos. Uh, and and again, it, it comes to the same question that, okay, if, if the watch is working, somebody is behind it. Somebody has made it work. So yeah. Somebody has put the things in, in place so that, you know, it is showing you the right time. Yeah. So the whole universe is, is working like a, like a, a clock. Hmm. And, uh, and this clockwork some th- has been designed. Yep. Uh, and it is, it is perfect. And it's, it's, you know, everything going in, in, in a particular ob- orbit. And, and if you see, we can see a very, um, very simple example is that the sun is a, a, a at an appropriate distance from the earth yeah uh, if it comes you know a few uh, what is the, you know dimension of the distance if you say yeah. um, and for a common understanding a few kilometers maybe right. it comes nearer th- to the earth than what is supposed to the, the earth will burn yeah okay and similarly if it goes away and then it will freeze. Yep. So, exactly. uh, uh, so, so that appropriate distance, which is being maintained yep. over so many millions of years, um, somebody is behind it. Definitely. It has to. I mean, look around. Every single thing that we have, it has been built by humans, by someone, right? Even us humans, we have been, you know, we're born through our parents and etc. etc. So, uh, you know. The, when, when when we look, the more we look at the the cosmos, the the universe, and and the stars, we always you know we have to question the, the who has is, created the this. The Holy Quran, even the Holy Quran has has raised the same question. Yeah. And the Holy Quran asks, you know, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and in the alternation of the night and the day, there are indeed signs for men of understanding. Yeah. Those who remember Allah while standing, sitting, and lying on their sides and ponder over the creation of the heavens and earth, our Lord, so this is the conclusion they reach, and they say, our Lord, thou hast not created this in vain. Hmm. Nay, holy art thou, save us then from the punishment of the fire. Hmm. So that's from chapter 3, verse 191 and 192. So that's again, you know, if you ponder upon 
you know, what is surrounding you, what is around you yes. into the cosmos. You look at the stars, you look at the heavens, you look at what's going on around you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you keep thinking because... Uh, you know, once you start pondering over it, you keep thinking. You keep thinking. While you are in whatever position you are, yeah. and then you reach to the conclusion that it is impossible that all this has been created in vain. In vain, yeah. There, there has to be a creator. There has to be a purpose for this. Mm. And then you turn to him, that creator, and then to pray to him yeah. that, oh, you know, oh God Almighty, you, you are holy. Um, save us from the punishment of fire. And the punishment for fire, why that has been mentioned is that going away from that creator is yeah. a fire. It's fire. Uh, so it is fire it because, is a punishment. <laughs> let's say uh, there is a creator, there is a manual, of course. Yeah. You know, there is a manual for any creation. So the God Almighty has created this world, so there should be a manual, right? So otherwise, what's the point of creating something and then you don't really tell you know, your creation how you should sustain, how you should live on this earth. And this is why, you know, this verse also says that, um, you know, save us from the punishment of the fire means God is guiding you that, uh, look, this is the way you should live. I've created this not just for nothing. Every Even the planets that are orbiting, that's also affecting your life as well. And I remember the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community once mentioned this as well in one of his books, that even the planets that are orbiting, that has an effect on your life and on the planet as well. Planet so every sense. creation that God Almighty has created is for our benefit. But then how we should maintain and how we should live on this earth, that's been guided by the Holy Quran. Like, like this first of the Holy Quran of chapter 3. So astronomy is a topic today we are going to discuss and go into, uh, you know, uh, into a little bit depth of this. And it is the study of everything in the universe beyond the Earth's atmosphere. Studies uh, from, for hundreds of years, it is an early science that studies uh, celestial bodies, their origins, properties, and evolution. And the recently released images from NASA uh, taken by the by the James Webb Space Telescope have left us all in awe. It is surreal to see ancient galaxies, some over 13 billion years old, captured in vivid color and so beautiful. Hmm. You know, when you look at the images of those, and the image of Stephen's uh, quintet allows us to glimpse at how galaxies interact and merge with each other. One cannot help but marvel at the sheer perfection of it and wonder about its creator. And uh, the Holy Quran, as uh, it says, he is the originator of the heavens and earth. When he decrees a thing, he does only say to it, be, and it is. So that's ch chapter 2, verse 118. Hmm. Kun fayakun. Kun fayakun. So, but before, be, before there was technology yeah. that could capture these sharp images, the night sky still captured our collective imagination. Hmm. It was always a place of beauty and mystery. The dark vastness inspired artists, scientists, and philosophers alike. And you see, so if you, if you look at the poetry, yeah. uh, if you have an interest in poetry, you know, but most of the, the, the poets, they go into and they are talking about the stars and the galaxies yeah. and the heavens and the And, and, the, and the creation, and, actually, even, and, even and the humans moon, and, yeah, and, 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 and the earth, yeah. So, so all these, uh, you know, the um, particularly the fine arts, you know, the, and, and the scientists, the philosophers, they, they all have looked into it. Uh, and, and, and that's why it's a little wonder that the field of astronomy dates back to the first millennium BCE. Um, the ancient science traversed borders, each culture with its peculiar knowledge, 
base and religious practices added to the understanding of our universe. Mm. And various civilizations around the world have contributed to our understanding of the cosmos. In 1800 BCE, the Babylonians, they maintained detailed documents on the movements of the celestial bodies, while the Greeks, known as the fathers of ancient astronomy, they calculated the circumference of the earth Mm. and postulated its spherical shape. In ancient Egypt, observations of the celestial bodies were used to map out where the pyramids were to be built and to predict the flooding of the Nile River. Hmm. And in Islamic Persia, the astronomer Azofi, he described the constellations and our neighboring Andromeda galaxy in detail in the book of fixed stars, while Abu Mahmud Hamid ibn Khizr al-Khujandi made the first Saxon to measure the axial tilt of the earth. They knew that the you know the the, the earth is not straight, hmm. and there's a lot of contribution of the Muslim scientists you know in in, in astronomy. Yeah, and uh, there are lots of names who have actually uh, contributed in the very beginning, whose names now you know you hardly hear, but though those were the ones who founded 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 the the knowledge uh, based uh, on, on astronomy. Yeah, I mean, uh, for example, uh, Al Batani he catalogued over 400 stars in the time when instruments to view the sky were scarce and rudimentary. And his determination of the solar year uh, was at uh, 365 days, 5 hours, 46 minutes and 2 seconds. Very close to the calculation as accepted today. Um, He showed the world that the furthest distance of the sun from the earth is variable and therefore, annular solar eclipses are possible as are total eclipses. Um, apart from him, we also have Al-Biruni. Um, he uh, is one of the greatest, contribu- his greatest contribution has been to measure the radius of the Earth. Uh, so which uh, was almost uh, on the mark. Measuring the Earth wasn't an easy task for him, but... Um, he started by measuring the height of a hill, um, and that was in Punjab, in, Pakistan, in, in the province of Pakistan. Um, then he climbed the hill to measure the horizon using a uh, trigonometry and algebra. Then he reached a value of 3,928.77 miles, which is you know, slightly off the current accepted value, which is yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like it's just hundred. I mean, um, yeah, it's uh, hardly a, 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 you know a difference of hundred uh, hundred miles. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's I mean, with the modern uh, technology yeah. that we have, uh, uh, and, and and they didn't have those technology, and they measured it so just by trigonometry and algebra. You know, he he has uh, has calculated. Measuring the horizon and measuring a hill, yeah, <laughs> and from that hill, uh, it's it's amazing. One yes. is amazed, and uh, yeah. but of course we have uh, we recorded an interview uh, earlier, and uh, we can pay is um, is with the, with one of the guests, Mary McIntyre. Yes. Uh, so so, we so we'll listen to that, and yeah. uh, and then we'll come back to some of some more uh, uh, Muslim scientists into astronomy. Yeah. Now, what piqued you the interest in in astronomy and and astrophotography? 
Um, well, I've been studying the sky since I was a very small child, mm. and I think part of that came because my mum remembers watching the moon landings when she was a child, <laughs> so she always pointed the moon out to me. She's always loved the moon. So from being very, very young, I used to just stare at the moon for hours and hours, and that just kind of carried on through to adult life, really. Mm. Um, the photography side of it started 11 years ago. I was given the opportunity to study the astronomy GCSE, and one of the coursework options with lunar photography so I had um, a fairly old refracting telescope and a compact camera and mm. I just used elastic bands to hold the camera up to the eyepiece to take some pictures of the moon mm. so it was very crude um, the, there are gadgets now that can do a far better job that hold your iPhone in place but it, it kind of started that for me and then mm. a year after that my mum bought me my first digital SLR camera so then I just kind of I'm unusual. Most astrophotographers have a kind of area of speciality, but I photograph absolutely everything mm. um, from the Milky Way through to galaxies and star clusters and planets. I just love everything. I'm the mm. moon as well. I still photograph the moon. Mm. So um, the, the two really kind of go hand in hand now for me, but it, it can be very tempting to just make it all about the photography. So mm. sometimes I make myself leave the camera inside and just go outside with a telescope or binoculars and just actually look because you feel that very special connection with an astronomy object when you actually see it with your own eyes through mm. an eyepiece. Hmm. I, you know, uh, you have a observatory at home and, uh, and, and, and I think with a telescope you would be able to see the sky possibly, you know, better. But, you know, w what is it that you can usually see uh, you know, which is not uh, visible with the naked eye with your telescope. Um, so if you've got like even a very small telescope, um, just like a very small refracting telescope or even a, a small pair of bird watching binoculars, mm. that will let you see more detail on the moon. So oh, okay. <clears throat> with the naked eye, you look at the moon, you can see that it's mottled and it has some darker areas, mm. but you can't really see any of the craters. But the minute you point even a very small telescope at the moon, then mm. you see craters. And that's what Galileo did. Galileo's telescope, very first telescope, only magnified by too, but it, that was all it took mm. um, to be able to see that the moon was not this perfect white orb that everyone thought it was. Um, you can also point it at the planets and you'll be able to see Saturn's rings with a small telescope. If you point it at Jupiter, you will just be able to see a couple of the darker cloud belts on Jupiter's surface, but also the four bigger moons that are in orbit around Jupiter. So mm. all of that is just with a pretty small telescope or binoculars. Mm. Um, you can also see some of the brighter nebulae, like the Orion Nebula and the Andromeda Galaxy, which is one of the biggest galaxies in our sky. So you mm. can see those and some of the bigger star clusters. But if you go up to a medium-sized telescope, that is when you can start to see smaller and fainter objects that you definitely can't see with the naked eye. You'll see definitely more detail on the moon and planets that way as well. Mm. Um, photography... Um, can be a bit misleading because the minute you start doing lots of long exposures and kind of put them all together, you get this incredibly detailed, vibrant picture and nothing ever looks like that with the naked eye. And I think it's important to have a realistic idea of what it is you'll see through an eyepiece because although most things just look like colourless grey smudges, 
when you know how far away those things are and how they formed, it's still pretty amazing to actually see that with your eyes. And I still really do feel that connection with these objects when I look at them. Mm. So I usually have one telescope taking photographs and one just to look through because I still think it's great to do both. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because something that you can't see with your naked eyes and, and, and use this telescope and you see the wonders <laughs> beyond the yeah, sky. I mean, you can still see a lot without a telescope though. I mean, um, if we are lucky enough, if you are in the, the middle to the north of England, if mm. the sun is very active, you can sometimes get displays of the northern lights visible. Mm. You don't need a telescope for that. Same with meteor showers. We have several big meteor showers every year mm. so you can see shooting stars. You can look at the moon with the naked eye. So so you don't have to have a telescope to do astronomy, but um, it does help with those smaller things that you can't see without one. Mm, yeah. I mean, uh, we also know, and it's very famous, and I've seen pictures of uh, the James Webb Telescope as well, uh, which has re replaced... Uh, uh, the Hubble, uh, Hubble Telescope is replaced by the new you know, James Webb Telescope. Um, yeah. And it also captured, you know, some beautiful images as well um, could you tell us a bit more about the pictures that they've uh, you know taken and and what are we seeing uh, that we couldn't see with the Hubble telescope um, oh, the, I'm so glad James Webb actually launched finally because it's been delayed and delayed and delayed mm. and they've spent so much money on it and it was all worth the wait because the pictures that it's sending back are just absolutely beautiful mm. um, the way that this telescope differs from Hubble is that it looks at light that is just beyond what the human eye can see on the red end so it's called near infrared mm -hmm. and when you're looking at galaxies that are very far away as like objects move further away they become something called red shifted so they tend to have redder color in them mm -hmm. so if you're looking at it with a normal telescope you can't see the faint detail but a telescope that's capable of looking in the near infrared areas that can probe further back so we're looking the initial releases of mostly being kind of test shots and stuff to wet the the appetite of the public and a lot of people have been putting the kind of morphing the Hubble image into the James Webb image and what we're seeing is an incredible amount more detail because the mirror is so much bigger than Hubble was mm. but it's also probing those parts of the, the spectrum that you just can't see with the naked eye. So in terms of looking at the really deep galaxies, that is le letting us look further back in the beginning of the universe, which we couldn't do with Hubble. But it's doing more than that as well. It's letting us look at more detail on the planets. It's taking these gorgeous pictures of nebulae and we're just seeing all this gorgeous gas structure that mm. just wasn't visible with Hubble. But the other thing it's doing that I think is also super exciting is looking at the atmospheres of exoplanets. So we now know there are over 5,000 planets in orbit around other stars and we've only really looked in our immediate neighbourhood for those. Mm. And the minute we found one other planet around a star, we knew that we were not unique and we now have 5,000 and confirmed and there are many more that we're going to discover but these things are too small for us to actually see with an optical telescope but mm -hmm. one of the instruments on James Webb can actually look at the at the composition of the atmosphere of a planet that is too small for us to see mm. and that blows my mind 
we will never see this thing, but based on the way it orbits its star, we will know how big it is, what it's made of, and now we will know what the atmospheres are made of. Hmm. And that's important because one way of looking for whether life exists, yeah. probably microbial life, but is to look for chemicals that wouldn't naturally be present in an atmosphere. So potentially James Webb will help us look for signs of life on other planets around other stars. And mm. these things are so far away. It blows my mind that we can do this, but that this instrument is just going to give us so much new science. Definitely, definitely. I mean, um, are there any planets... Uh, that we found that we might think that there are uh, there is a possibility of living things in that planet I mean, you know uh, after you know they've released the James Webb uh, space telescope um i don't know if we found any confirmed signs of life as yet but what we do know um in order for life as we know it to exist you need water and mm, you need yeah. a particular temperature so even within our own solar system there are subsurface oceans on the icy moons around jupiter and saturn that could potentially have microbes living there and i am pretty convinced that we will find evidence of life in our own solar system mm. within my lifetime yep. but further out there we know planets that are orbiting in that sweet spot where liquid water can exist where it's not too hot not too cold they call it the goldilocks zone like the the porridge is not too hot not too cold hmm. from the the fairy story so there are plenty of planets that kind of look like earth 2.0 um so they are good candidates for potentially having life um, but there'd have to be enough of it to change the composition of the atmospheres and we haven't found any evidence of that yet but i you know, again i just don't see how there can't be given how many planets there are out there um you know once we're probing further and further away i'm sure it's just a matter of time honestly before we find something elsewhere yeah i might be wrong but i hope i'm not wrong <laughs> i mean in Islam, we believe that there is uh, a, um, a being or beings, uh, aliens uh, outside our planet as well. So, you know, there is a possibility, of course. Uh, but uh, like you said, it's the matter of time. Uh, I think uh, so. I genuinely <laughs> do think so. And I, I, most people I know agree with me. Some people strongly believe that we are unique, but. It, just here on Earth, we've had so many mass extinction events and life just pops up again so quickly. Mm. And I don't see how that isn't the case in other planets where conditions are good enough because within our solar system, we know that comets were hitting stuff in the early solar system, delivering the raw materials for life. If you've got liquid water, you've got the raw materials and you've got the right temperature, why why wouldn't it form somewhere else? I just mm. uh, The chances of it existing at the exact same time that we exist is probably where we come unstuck but you know i'm sure there'll be something out there yeah um the nasa also released an audio of what the black hole sounds like um yeah <laughs> <laughs> how is that how does that work and how, how how is the sound produced actually um the sound that they've released well there's been a few now actually um, it's the sound of two black holes merging together. So you'll have two black holes in space that are kind of orbiting around each other. And in the space of a fraction of a second, it will basically release enough energy that is 50 times more energy than every star in the whole universe yeah. in a really small amount of time. Um, that is kind of invisible for us to see kind of in optical wavelengths. But what it does do is kind of cause gravitational waves and these are tiny tiny waves a bit like if you throw a stone into a pond and the ripples 
kind of come out from where you threw the stone in the water. Something similar happens in space. So if you get these two, because black holes are so big and so massive, when that happens, it sends out these really minuscule vibrations in gravity. And there are specialist telescopes that are designed to detect this. And LIGO is one of them. And it's basically using laser technology in these extremely long tubes, like four kilometers long at right angles to each other. And these instruments are so sensitive that they can actually detect that. But what they detect isn't actually anything that you can hear but what they do they've got a graph of it because it's basically waves and sound is waves so they just change the amplitude and the pitch so that it becomes something that humans can hear and the sounds that they've released they're all very subtly different depending on how big the black holes were that have merged but it sounds like a little cheap noise like a bird Mm. and that's because as they get closer to each other they start to spin faster so you get this kind of like noise And it's amazing to to kind of hear two black holes merging in such a small amount of time. Enough energy was released that we were able to pick that up in gravity. Mm. And again, these telescopes, these observatories are not actually telescopes at all, but these observatories are just extraordinary. And we've now picked up a few of these, and it needs to be picked up by more than one observatory. Otherwise, you know, it could be anything, basically. You need to pick it up on two different um, detectors. But, yeah, so that's what we're hearing it's basically the sound of two black holes merging together to form one giant one. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting that they make a a, a natural sound of a bird. (laughs) Is it a constant, you know, uh, a bird sound or is it a sound that comes and then after it's a while one, it's one chirp that's it the that's whole it. event is just one chirp okay just one chirp okay yeah you can hear if you just search for black hole merger sound on youtube there are many many videos that then um, play that to you and it it, it really is quite mind-blowing oh uh, mashallah interesting so um the the what is the uh, significance of being able to see galaxies billions of years old that are so far away how does it shape our future of science well first of all it's going to help finalize the models of our universe because there are still i think it's generally accepted by most of the community that there was a big bang it wasn't as violent an event as bang suggests i think the name big bang was actually coined by somebody who was using it unfavorably saying oh this so-called big bang is nonsense and it's not it wasn't a a big explosion as such Mm -hmm. most people believe that that happened but what is continuing to happen and what happens next there are still many cosmology models out there and we don't really know the answers so what james webb has already done is probe back further than we've ever seen before and we're seeing galaxies that we didn't expect to see so early on in the universe because we we pretty much know by measuring the cosmic microwave background that we know how old the universe is more or less like three 13.8 billion years old and looking back as far as we have with James Webb, we didn't expect there to be galaxies of the type that we're seeing. So it doesn't mean that we're wrong about the Big Bang. It just means the exact kind of mechanism that took place that early on, we just haven't got that finalized yet. So it's going to help with that, and that will help us know what happens next in our universe. Nothing's going to happen within a time frame we need to worry about, but we still don't really have a final handle on where the universe is going from here. So all of that stuff is really going to help with that. Um, it, it, it's just going to kind of keep 
getting our cosmology models better and it'll just help answer some more of those unanswered questions that we still have because there are still a lot of unanswered questions. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for your time and uh, answering uh, these interesting questions. I'm definitely going to look up for the sound uh, of the black hole. Uh, you already gave a hint of how it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm probably going to Google it next. Uh, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you very much. So this was a interview with um, with um, uh, Mary uh, McIntyre, who is a... Um, uh, you know, uh, an ast- uh, amateur astronomer. Amateur astronaut, yeah. Uh, a- astronomer, sorry. Uh, and, so and astrographer as well. Astrographer as well, yes. <laughs> I mean, very interesting uh, uh, discussion we had. Um, um, and, and, and of course, uh, the more you look at the sky, because with a normal camera, you can't really tell. Uh, what's 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 beyond <laughs> the skies? Beyond. But uh, it's amazing world, not world, but worlds. Worlds, yes. <laughs> Which you, 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 mm, you definitely you can look into. Mm. So uh, just before our interview, um, we were giving some names of uh, prominent um, scientists who discovered. Um, uh, you know, um, particularly astronomers. Uh, astronomers, there are a huge yeah. number of uh, scientists, mm. but these particular ones are uh, the astronomers who, who went into this field, mm. and they have, uh, they, you know, they've, they've done like um, uh, extraordinary uh, research and and founded the current day mm. astronomy. Uh, and Al Sufi is one of them who yeah. was there from 1903 to 1986, and he was the one who made several observations of the motion of the sun. He also made observations and descriptions of the stars, setting out his results, constellation by constellation, discussing the stars' position, their magnitude, and their color. And two observatories were founded during the reign of the Abbasid uh, Caliph Al Mamun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sh- the in Baghdad and the Kassion in Damascus. So it was during research conducted at the Shamasiya Observatory. Um, Shams, Shams is the sun, so it's Shamsia is and the name of the observatory mm-hmm. uh, from that in Baghdad. And the uh, the Persian Muslim scientist uh, Habash al Hasib. Uh, calculated the circumferences, diameters, radii, and other matters related to the Earth, Sun, and the Moon. So, so the, these are a few names: Al Batani, Al Biruni, Al Sufi, um, who during you know there was a g- Islamic golden age between yeah. the eighth and fourteenth centuries. He, and and during this time, science, technology, arts, culture yeah, that flourished, and we have you know particularly in the you know in the Abbasid Caliphate, we see that um, they the, a lot of importance of given was given to these subjects mm. and uh, and a lot of muslim scientists the scholars and, and they they sort of uh, they were much advanced in their studies and knowledge and astronomy was particularly the study of stars and planets they were particularly keen in that and they were much advanced in arabs anyway they were far advanced in studying the stars and yeah. they would they, they would find out their um, different routes of their travel as well mm. and they, uh, and that that's how they traveled mm. so so it is it is not something new it has been there for for a lot, you know many centuries before as as well but it was progressed at the time of the 
golden age of uh, the Islamic uh, um, scholarships. Mm. And then, um, you know, on, 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 on that foundation now we see that the science is advancing every day and the, the NASA, which is, uh, you know, you see the pictures yeah. taken by the, um, by the, sco- uh, the telescopes there. Yeah, the, the new telescope, um, James, uh, something, James Telescope, right? So it's, uh, you know, they've captured... Uh, very beautiful pictures, which were not able, which were they were not able to capture with the Hubble. Uh, this is more, uh, yeah, much more advanced, more, yeah. much more advanced, and, and much they're so beautiful advanced. as well. You know, yeah. you said James Webber yeah. Telescope, I believe. Yeah. Um, he, the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, also stated in regards to the cosmos um, that uh, when a believer studies and ponders over the celestial bodies and the entire universe, it causes their minds to open up and for them to become enlightened. You know, in, in the Holy Quran as well, the first chapter of the Holy Quran, um, it attributes to Rabbul Alameen, to God. So, which means the God of, uh, uh, or the Lord of the worlds, which indicates that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And you mentioned towards the beginning as well of our show that, you know, if we are created or, or the things around us uh, is created by us, uh, by someone, then, you know, this universe that is so perfectly uh, made, um, it has to be a creator. There has to be a creator behind this, of course. It is very fascinating to notice that while the mysteries of the universe that are still being pondered over, they were mentioned in the Holy Quran 1400 years ago. And some of the theories relating to the creation of the universe have been verified as facts, whereas some others are still being explored. Now, when you look at the creation of the universe, the concept of the expanding universe has been universally accepted by scientific uh, community as a fact. This discovery was first made by Edwin Hubble uh, in the 1920s. Um, I believe the Hubble telescope that was before James Webb telescope uh, was also derived from his name. Um, but some 13 centuries before this, before the discovery of Edwin Hubble, it was clearly mentioned in the Holy Quran. In chapter 51, verse 48, we see that God Almighty says that, and the heaven we built with our own powers, and indeed we go on expanding it. You know, this verse clearly explains that the stage-by-stage process of creation in a manner uh, which perfectly falls into step with the theory of Big Bang. The Holy Quran also, in another place, accurately describes the event of Big Bang in the following words. In chapter 21, verse 31, God Almighty says, Do not the unbelievers see that the heavens and the earth were a closed-up mass? Then we clothed them asunder, and we made from water every living thing. Will they not then believe? I mean... It is significant this, that this specific verse is specially addressing on to the non-believers, to the believers, to those who do not believe in, in, in a creator or in God, that perhaps the unveiling of the secret mentioned in this verse would be made by the non-believers. And when, when, you, when you look at 
this the the prophecies that are done uh, made fourteen hundred years ago in the Holy Quran. Many of them are invented, in fact, by uh, by atheist scientists. And 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 when you when you show, look, these are the 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 inventions or these are the things that you have discovered. Yeah, <laughs> these were mentioned fourteen hundred years ago, <laughs> and there is no way, yeah, no way that Arabs at that time of the Holy Prophet, you know, knew about this. It, it was given by God Almighty. This message was given by God Almighty. Um, so you know, we should we should remember uh, that the concept of you know. Uh, that 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 all these uh, inventions or all, all the science at all, you know the creator of the universe he has guided us through the holy quran and we should you know ponder on on the words of the holy quran this way you know we can uh, we can strengthen our faith as well in god almighty i think we should l- listen to the fourth caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community hazrat mirza tahir ahmed uh, may Allah uh, have mercy on him. He shed light on the meaning of the verse of the Holy Quran. Allah is he who created seven heavens and of the earth the like thereof. Uh, let's listen to that. It says, That we have created, it is one of the signs of Allah, that Allah has created seven heavens and also earths of the same number or, or alike, of the same type. Now, this is very interesting. Mislahunna is uh, a word rich in meaning. It opens many possibilities. It only says that also Allah has created earth, earths, earths, more earths, Mislahuna, like that. Now, if heaven was just a parchment spread out around the earth, then it could not be like the earth. To say that heaven, earth was, other earths was, were created like the heavens. That means that earth itself was something like heaven, and heaven was something like earth. That is, there were many bodies like earth, many globes floating in the in the heaven, and that concept of uh, uh, that plastic cover is uh, completely rejected by this verse. Secondly, it has been translated by all the by many of the earlier scholars and later scholars as well to mean that mislahunna refers to the number of heavens. As Allah has created more than one heavens, so Allah has created more than one earth. So there are many earths. And Mislahunna again can cover the type of earth which we find here, that is its capabilities and its potentials. So when the Holy Quran says there are earths other than this earth, which are similar to this earth, because Misla Hunna um, uh, refers to the heaven as well as that earth is similar, those earths are similar to this earth. What would that mean? That would mean that if other earths are created like this earth and they are spread in the heavens, 
and the whole nature of the heavens is like the earth. This is the full meaning of this. Then those earth should have the same potential and qualities which uh, this present earth possesses. That also means that there is a possibility of life um, being developed and uh, um, not exactly on the same lines, but there is a possibility of life being developed there, which may take different directions from the direction taken by evolution on this earth. Yet, it is similar, that phenomena is similar. You were just listening to one of the uh, answers that um, His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was giving uh, on a question that was asked to him. Um, we were discussing um, about the uh, Quranic uh, prophecies that God Almighty has uh, given in the Holy Quran and how scientists even have, you know, through the scientists nowadays who are not even Muslim or not even believers, how through them these prophecies have been fulfilled. Um, and, and when you ponder on the, Quran, the words of the Quran and the prophecies, when you see these prophecies and when you compare the science as well, you have to say that indeed the book of the Holy Quran is a book of God Almighty and it can't be otherwise. Um, one of the topics that is very famous um, you know, when it comes to astronomy or uh, the universe, or uh, it, we also discuss the, about the black hole, isn't it? Yeah, the creation of the universe, yeah. and, and then that's associated the black hole. How, yeah. Because that has been a, a big question: uh, how the world was created, mm. how you know, what the origin, and uh, and the black hole, uh, you know, uh, is discussed usually. And the black hole is a gravitationally collapsed mass of. Colossal size, of course, and it begins with the collapse of such massive stars that are 15 or more times the size of the sun. Hmm. So the immensity of their inward gravitational pull causes the stars to collapse into a much smaller size. Hmm. And uh, several theories answered how the universe was initially created. And the most recent and widely accepted being the Big Bang Theory. Yep. And uh, Big Bang Theory s states that it was initiated from a singularity which suddenly erupted, mm. uh, releasing the trapped mass leading yet again into the creation of a new universe through the event horizon. Mm. And one of the two theories uh, relating to the expansion of the universe predicts that the universe thus created will carry on expanding forever. Hmm. And the other claims that the expansion of the universe will at some time be reversed because the inward gravitational pull will ultimately prevail. Uh, eventually, all matter will be pulled back again to form perhaps another uh, gigantic black hole. This latter view appears to be supported by the Quran because the Holy Quran says, that Remember the day when we shall roll up the heavens like the rolling up of written scrolls by a scribe. As we began the first creation, so shall we repeat it. A promise binding upon us, we shall certainly perform it. That has been taken from chapter 21, verse 105. So the clear message of this verse is that the universe is not eternal. Mm. It speaks of a future when the heavens will be rolled up in a manner similar to the rolling up of a scroll. Very interesting. I mean, uh, <laughs> the Big Bang is in 
the creation of the universe and then how it's going to end by rolling up a very interestingly um, uh, interesting uh, verse indeed. Gandhi, Hadrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad, the fourth caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, he has answered to, uh, to this question that what is Islam's response to those who say that the Big Bang is an autonomous cyclical event and therefore could occur without God? Let's listen to that. Cycles are mentioned in the Holy Quran itself. The Holy Quran describes two different phenomena. One, that of disappearance of all matter into a closely knit, tightly sewn, ball-like thing, of which we don't know because everything has disappeared inside it. Secondly, it says that uh, the universe is found in the form of clouds, huge clouds, shapeless clouds. Then God gives shape to those clouds and separate one part from the other and uh, how this is how the ultimately heaven and earth are shaped. Both these ideas are correct and scientifically proved because after the Big Bang this is exactly what should happen. A shapeless, nameless cloud is to appear and which, which is, it was destined gradually to settle down into various groups of properties and, and uh, elements and um, nebula and so on and so forth. So there is nothing which can be proved against God. All that can be proved is in favor of God, though, I mean, some people may reject that. They say, no, we don't know what, what is beyond, so that's enough. But nothing can be proved against God from this. The strongest proof now you can give is this, that not only that we are led to some creator behind, because once the power is locked up in the um, relationship which you yourself, the scientists have mentioned, that the greater the power of holding itself together, smaller the size. And the smaller the, the size, the greater the power to attract other th things to it, and it's more impossible it becomes for the inner, inner uh, matter to be released and escape. This is a relationship which makes it impossible for the Big Bang to occur. It requires a greater power to, un, uh, to release all the locked forces which by being locked up become too strong a prison for themselves. This is the dilemma. This is why Einstein, when he understood this, he this was his remark, oh, we will be led to God now. And that is what he said. The physics will be led now to God. This was the first natural reaction. So we're just listening, you were just listening to the fourth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, uh, may Allah be his helper, uh, may Allah have um, uh, mercy on him, um, answering a question. Uh, which was what is Islam's response to those who say that the Big Bang is a uh, autonomous um, cycle, uh, cycle event that uh, happened, um, and that could uh, could could God have done this? So, very interesting uh, answer that we've received from uh, His Holiness. Um, 
I remember uh, we were just discussing and we asked the question as well on our Instagram story, which was which Muslim scientist invented the telescope? And we promised you that we will answer the question towards the end of the show. Um, the answer of the question who invented the telescope, a Muslim uh, scientist, is Abul Hassan. So Abul Hassan was the one who invented the telescope. And uh, not many people have answered this uh, this correct. correct the, yeah, the, the yeah. number B was the most of the people answered it, but Abul Hassan, only eight people did it uh, from so many people. So this is a. Um, I think that name is not very familiar. So probably, that's, that's yeah. why probably, that probably yes, do, probably. Yeah. So our understanding of the cosmos has vastly changed over the past thousand years, but the core goal of these investigations has remained the same. The um, contextually contextualize human existence within this, uh, the spatial expanses of the universe, this desire is driven by human curiosity and awe. Pondering over the words of God and finding signs of His majesty scattered across the universe humbles us immensely as we get a glimpse of our Creator, all the, the all-knowing, the supreme being. The head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mizam Masurur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, also stated that when an intelligent, intelligent person reflects carefully upon the heavens and the earth, the universe, and why the length of the night and day remains constantly in a state of flux, it causes them to perceive God Almighty and appreciate His perfect creation when they see God Almighty in this way and recognize His majesty. They turn towards him with increased fervency and passion and seek his help and grace in their effort to further understand and unlock the mysteries of the universe. We are at the end of the show. I hope you have um, benefited from our show and especially from our guest um, today. Very interesting topics indeed. Um, I would like to thank our producers, um, Kafi Zafar, Farhana Khan, and uh, Seida Tahdia for their hard work to make this show happen and also want to uh, thank our tech team, Akib Ahmed. So um, we are at the top of the hour now and here is the six o'clock news.